At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a world full of information, literally at our fingertips. Among all the claims of truth in the world, it can be hard to separate fact from fiction. This is often the case when it comes to the Christian faith. Do we understand the truth of what we believe, and can we articulate it to others? In The Essentials, Why Truth Matters, we'll use the affirmations of the Apostles' Creed as a guide to teaching us the core doctrines of the Christian faith. Join us each week as we affirm the foundational truths of Christianity so we can stand on the bedrock of God's truth and share that good news with the world. In church, how are we doing this morning? Give it up for the worship team one last time. Thank you, thank you. You can go ahead and grab a seat for me. Again, thank you to our second week of our new service structure. And it looks like most people like 10 o'clock, right? I mean, it's not too early. It's not too late. Texas Roadhouse opens up. You're good to go. So here we are. Uh, Very excited this morning because we've been talking for the last six weeks on biblical generosity. And we've had these little two to three minute messages on what it looks like and what it means to be biblically generous. And today is very important. This is our last week. We get to talk a little vision and what God is doing here and what we can celebrate. And so if you look in your bulletins, you'll see that there is a paper and has a QR code on it. And that QR code, if you take a picture, it takes you over to us having a vision fund account officially open. So if we want to put money away for a building, purchasing a building, building a building, we actually are going to start putting money away for that. So that's a huge celebration as a church that that account is open and we have that available. And what's exciting for me on this journey and what has been something that I've really enjoyed when discussing with the elders, discussing with staff, with our leadership team, is really that vision and and the question that has been on our mind that we've been working through is how can our campus best reach our community for Christ and help fulfill our overall mission? So it's not about parking lots or, or more room for children or, or sanctuary. It's how do we have a greater impact, a gospel impact on our community? And does our current facility have the ability to grow and to do that? Or what are some things that we can add or continue to work out that will have us have a greater impact on those in our surrounding region. And so that's been something we've been praying over, we've been working through, but that's a question that we want to work on together. We want to work as a church. We want to hear our church's ideas. We want to dream together as we're just in that infancy stage of what that question is because what we want to do is we want to have an impact on our community, not just today, but 5, 10, 20 years down the road, so this area knows the gospel and has an imprint because of the faithful Christians of Woodside, Chesterfield. And so I think with us, as we ponder that, as we work through that, one of the things that we got to talk about is, is this broad vision of what that would be or what that will look like. And, and while facility is definitely part of solution, and, and I think about our church about 500 strong, and then Woodside as a whole has about 10,000 people, uh, what could 10,000 people across greater Detroit 
What kind of impact could they have on their communities? And you think even about the early church and as Peter and he preached his first message and thousands were saved and we are blessed to have uh, over 10,000 people that are following Christ at the Woodside churches. And so I'm going to show a couple slides real quick. And these are images just to dream about because we just want to open the, the conversation and think through what it would look like to have more areas in our church uh, for Bible study, more open areas for Bible study, more open areas, maybe a gym, maybe a, a library um, that we can have resources that people could use uh, things that I know a lot of people don't think about storage, but that's a big issue in most churches is where we're going to put stuff, where we're going to store it. We have such a thriving food pantry that we want to continue to, to grow and develop in our community. Uh, what about our food pantry? What about a, a kitchen? Uh, most of you uh, probably don't know this, but we actually don't have a kitchen in this church. Uh, we have a fridge, <laughs> you know. <laughs> We have an ice maker that works about 25% of the time, but, but we don't have a kitchen, which uh, is a huge piece of serving for, for, for funerals, for weddings, for events, having that to be a blessing on our community. And so you think about this, and we want to hear your thoughts. We want you to dream with us and be praying and thinking through, man, what, what are some things that we could do or we could offer as a church that have a massive impact on our community, not just in the future, but, but long-term. And so we want to encourage you to be a part of that, to be willing to support above and beyond your normal giving, to make that a possibility as we start to put away for the day when, when we uh, officially go and buy a building or, or break ground. So let me pray for that as we go into our message. Father God, thank you that we can be a church that we see uh, people being saved, people's lives being changed, people breaking from sin. Father, we are so eternally grateful to be able to witness just a movement, not just in our church, but in this area, uh, on how you are not done with our nation. That you want everyone to hear your gospel and come to know you. And so, Father, I pray right now as we celebrate that, that we are one step closer to having a greater impact our on our community. I pray that, that we consider what ways we could partner with Woodside and being part of this movement. And God, thank you again that we can come together as a people and find these solutions that we remember it's bigger than any facility, any parking lot size. It's, it's about the good news of you. So we love you, Father. We thank you. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Okay, so if you were here last week, you know we started a new series called The Essentials, Why Truth Matters. And I'm very excited about this because truth is one of those things that has been directly attacked probably since the beginning of time. And specifically with our culture, which is hypersensitive about everything, this is something that has added a whole nother element and a whole nother hostility to churches, right? And specifically churches that have made a decision to preach the word, 
to, to stand by the word, to be consistent with the word. And it makes people uncomfortable when we make such an absolute statement like we have the truth. I heard it said that uh, we have 8 billion people on this planet, so that means we have 8 billion different versions of truth. And that is true. Because even with truth, even though we have the truth based on bias, based on experience, based on some things that are hard to understand, we, we at times sway a little from the truth. And, and the important thing for us as Christ followers is we start with Jesus Christ. We, we start with him and his life and his death. And that is a truth that we have in his resurrection. And we have eternal life through him. And there's some things that are a gray area that we work through and we study through. But ultimately, we believe that us at our church, we are pursuing what it means to have truth. And so in our society, one of the things that we tend to see often is, hey, you just do you. Right? I'll do me, you do you, which to kind of paraphrase is you live the way you want to live. You, I don't care how you live, you just live the way you want to, but ultimately, just stay over there. <laughs> and here's the issue with that. If you do you and I do me, then that means if we have anything that is connected anyway and, and what you believe is truth makes my truth uncomfortable or changes something when it comes to what it takes for me to live out my truth, that, then that means that I'm going to be mad with you. So you do you, you live the way you, you like. It's built on a narcissistic lifestyle. Just whatever makes you happy. Whatever you think is the way you should live, just go ahead and do that. I heard the story said, the story of a frog and a scorpion. The scorpion was uh, seeing this frog that was about to cross the river. And so the scorpion said to the frog, hey, will you take me across the river? And uh, the frog said, no way I'm taking you across the river. You're going to sting me. You're going to kill me. I'm not going to do it. So the scorpion said, hey, well, you know, that makes no sense, first of all, because if I sting you, I can't swim, so I'm going to die too. So I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I wouldn't do that. And so the frog says, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. Okay, I'll take you across the river. So then they're going across the river, and the scorpion's on the back of the frog. And then halfway across, uh, the scorpion lifts its tail and stings the frog, and they both start to sink. And so as they're sinking in the water, the scorpion says, aren't you going to ask me why I did it? And then the frog says, no, you just do you, man. You just live your life. See, it doesn't make any sense, right? It makes no sense at all. But when you live for your own truth, it, it's only going to cause a life of death to the soul. It's only going to bring pain, and in a world overrun with deception, <laughs> truth matters. And, and there's deception everywhere. And, and that deception is the difference between life and death, salvation and condemnation, heaven and, and hell, grace and, and judgment. 
And so if you remember, we have the Apostles' Creed, and we started this series, The Essentials, based on this creed. And what's important is, is this creed was kind of a rule book for those who were early Christians in the church in the second, third century. And so if you remember, a lot of people were illiterate. They didn't know how to read. They didn't know how to write. And so this was a great guide to protect against false teaching, to protect against people just not knowing what they believed. And so they created this creed, the Apostles' Creed, as a helpful resource. And so last week we talked about the first four words of the creed, which is, I believe in God. And some of us, we might have been like, that's so easy to understand why are we even preaching on it. But the reality is many believe who aren't saved. Many believe cognitively, but their lifestyle, the way they live, they live like functional atheists. And so their belief will show through their life, the fruit of their life. And so belief is so much more than just saying, yeah, I believe in a higher being. And so we talked about that. I believe in God. And so we're going to be continuing this discussion, and we're going to talk about the next part of the statement, which is, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And so if you've never heard the Apostles' Creed before, I want to read it to you again. This is what it says. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So this creed was such a pivotal part of the early church as they tried to fight against false teaching. And for us as a church, I mean, I so believe this, that the enemy, he works through the subtleties, the subtle movements, the subtle shifts, the subtle compromises of the church. You know, it's going to be hard if we one day say, well, we renounce Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's obvious. You know, if I do that, I'm going to get stoned on this stage immediately. I'll be, I'll be jumped and you guys will carry me off. It's just going to happen. But it's those subtle movements and it's important for us to have protections to that. And so I believe for us as a church, it's important to dig through this and discern and see what this means that he is the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. But I'll ask the question. Have you ever wondered why we call God our Father? Have you guys ever wondered why he's referred to as a father? You know, you think about the ancient Israeli culture, this Hebrew culture. It was a very patriarchal society. 
And, and so with this phrase of father, in an age of inclusivity and equality, shouldn't we replace the traditional language with something that is more uh, gender neutral? You know, don't we want to avoid anything that might seem misogynistic? And, and I think about this, and before we jump on the, the progressive bandwagon, it's important for us to remember that the Bible refers to God with masculine terms. And so when we look at this, and we look at the word of God, and, and even though there are feminine images of God being described as protecting, as comforting, there is never once in the Bible where, where the word says that God is a mother and never associates with motherhood. And so you think about the ancient Eastern, Middle Eastern cultures and societies, there was all these false gods everywhere. You know, Egypt, they had the, the goddess of Isis, in, in, in Babylon, they had the Asherah, the goddess of Asherah. And, and then in, in uh, uh, actually it was, Asherah was in Canaan, but Tiamat was in Babylon. And these were female goddesses. And so you think in these societies who worship these goddesses that they would be more respectful and honoring to women. And that could be no further from the truth. So the Bible speaks of God, who is spirit, as a father to, to communicate a few critical ideas. And so you see with Peter and Paul and the New Testament, it uses these phrases like God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and this wasn't invented by leaders in the church to try to suppress women. Th this phrase was used directly from Christ himself. Who loves all, is savior of all, is God in the flesh. And so he refers to God as father because it communicates something about their relationship. And it communicates something about our relationship with God. You know, I think about when, when Jesus shows us how to pray. He says, our father who is in heaven hallowed be your name. And so when he uses this image of father, it's not a rejection of feminine abilities or elevating masculinity. He did it to communicate that we don't serve a distant God. We serve a personal God, a God who is close and intimately connected to his children. As a father loves his children, so God loves us and redeems us and works to redeem us. And so Jesus Christ and the redemption that he offers us, that's, from, that's not from a detached God. That's from a close God. It's from a caring God. And so I think that's what differentiates the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from all the false gods of, of the first century and even in the Old Testament going, going way back is because our Lord, he knows our voice. As Jesus said, he knows our voice and, and we know his voice and we follow him. So truth matters. And that's why God our Father 
gives us every reason to worship him. Because of who he is and the deserving nature of, he, of him and what he accomplished for us. So let's jump in. Why does he deserve our worship. The first thing that we want to talk about why he deserves our worship is because his power is seen in making all things by his word. Making all things by his word. We're going to be in Psalm 33. So if you can go ahead and turn to Psalm 33, we're going to be focusing on the first 22 verses of that. And this is what it says in Psalm 33, specifically verses 1 through verse 9. Shout for joy in the Lord. O you righteous, praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with lyre, making melody to him with harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright. And all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. So what's interesting about Psalm 33 is it doesn't have a title. And it's believed because it's a continuation of Psalm 32. So if you zone out at any moment in this sermon, which I don't suggest... Go back and read Psalm 32. Go check it out and see the connection that's happening between Psalm 32 and Psalm 33. I mean, you look at the last words of Psalm 32. It says, be glad in the Lord, rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. I mean, the first words of, of Psalm 33 are almost identical to Psalm 32. Uh, 32.11, it says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. And this is important for us because when you think about shouting for joy, another word for shout is what? Is, is yell. <laughs> yell for joy? <laughs> I mean, we just continued or just finished worship. And I didn't see anyone running down the aisle yelling like, woohoo, yeah, right? You know, I didn't see anyone moonwalking, screaming, dancing. I didn't see any of that. And so we see here, it says, because we've been forgiven, what do we do? We shout for joy in the Lord. We yell for the joy in the Lord. The Lord, that word in Hebrew, Yahweh, is the reason for our worship, because of him. Look at words they use. Verse one, joy. Verse one, praise. Verse two, thanks. Verse two, melody. Three, our song. Three, music. And notice what kind of voice we offer. 
loud shouts. And, and so I think it's important that we know that not all worship is meant to be contemplative and reflective. Quiet, quiet is not the only way to show reverence. And so I think about reverence, it has more to do with the posture of our heart than the volume of our lips. It's okay to be reverently loud sometimes. It's okay for God's people to be passionate, to be responsive, and to be emotional. To worship. Because of what he's done. And sometimes people say, whoa, emotion, that's emotionalism, that's being manipulated, that's being, you know, led astray into feelings. I don't know about you, but Jesus saved my soul. That makes me emotional. And, and I think about how he forgave me and he hung on that cross for me. That makes me want to be more passionate for him. That wants me to be more urgent for him. That wants me to be less safe for him, more, less comfortable for him, to go tell the world for him. And so I think about us and I think about our church and he deserves every ounce of our affections. So I want to do something different today. I want us to shout. <laughs> if you believe this, that God saved your soul, can I get a shout of joy? Yes. Yes. He is worthy of all our shouts. And we can be just as reverent as the silence of our prayers when we shout for joy. And some of us, I've heard this before, we're playing too many new songs. I don't know what you do about this scripture. Make a new song to the Lord. We sing new songs every week, y'all. All right? <laughs> now I'm getting all Kentucky in here. Okay. The point is this. The point is this. Let me bring it back. He deserves all our praise. And sometimes... We're so moved in the spirit, all we can do is shout and praise and cry because of what he did for us. And we don't deserve it. But he loves us anyways. That can get movement of the soul. You know, the Greek translation of the Old Testament is called the Septuagint. And the word that is used for the word is the word in Hebrew, logos. And logos, in verse 6, is, is what is used. And it says, in the word, that is the means of creation. He made the creation through his word. And so we see the word, Jesus is actually referred to as the word. Maybe you've heard it in John 1, verse 1. He says, in the beginning was the word, logos. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him there was nothing made that was made. And you go into Colossians 1.16, it 
It, it echoes this. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So the Father Almighty is creator, and he created through his Son, through the Word. Where's the Spirit? You know, we talked last week about the triune God, and we've had uh, messages on it before. But if you look back at verse 6, it says, By the Word of the Lord, by the Word, Logos, Jesus, of the Lord, Yahweh, Father, the heavens were made, and by the breath, a common reference to the Spirit, by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. The triune God creates, and all the world will stand in awe of him. We have anyone who's been to Ireland in here? Anyone? I, I was able to go to Ireland. My friend's a missionary. He oversees contact mission of Ireland. And there was a time I was praying about being a missionary in Ireland. A lot of it had to do with they speak English. I don't got to learn a language. So that was, that was it. Um, but I was praying about it. I went over and visited. And he said, man, I'm going to take you to the, to the areas all the tourists go. So he took me to, to the Cliffs of Moher. And the cliffs of Moore, these beautiful cliffs overseeing the Atlantic Ocean. And so you got these tour guides and these beautiful walkways. There's a castle overseeing the Atlantic Ocean. And when you went there and you looked for the first time, all you could do is like, wow, this is beautiful. This is amazing. And so I think about our reactions when we're in a moment of awe. Like no one ever coaches you to have a reaction, right? Like when you give a gift to a niece, nephew, child, spouse, you're not like, okay, at this moment go, ooh, ah, okay? Like, I don't know about you, that's one of your favorite things, to watch the reaction, to see their face. You don't need to coach. They're so moved by awe and wonder that they respond with their words, with their movements, Right? Sometimes my kids will start like flailing their arms, and I'm like, where did you, you got that from mom, okay? But the thing is, we have these moments where they just don't know what to do. They're so moved by what they experienced that they respond with word and with their bodies. And I think about that with God. We're going to respond with awe and wonder when we see him. Some of us, we, we see him in our lives, in our world, but when we gaze at him directly into his eyes, we will respond. I even think about the times when Jesus appeared to the disciples after he had resurrected, and, and their response is, my, my Lord and my God. They were so moved in awe because they were gazing at, it, at their Savior. And we get to do that, and he's worthy of that worship of us. So why worship God? Because his power is seen in making all things by his word. Second, because his wisdom is seen in carrying out his eternal plans. Let's look at verse 10. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. 
He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he had chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and all observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his own strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. You know, what's the point of all this? What's it trying to say? And this is the image that came to mind, is that God pops the balloon of the plans of the world. It's like people, they, they think they have all this strength. It's like blowing a bubble. To God, it's just like, boop. It has no weight. It has no strength. We think we've created these security blankets. And to God, it's just a needle to, the, to a balloon. It's not going to last. Whether our strength our war horses, our mighty nation. It's like going to Niagara Falls and being like, hmm, I'm going to make this water go the opposite direction. I'm going to make this powerful waterfall stop and go the other way. It ain't going to happen. That water is going to end up in Lake Ontario. You're not going to move it. It's going to stay, it is fixed, it is absolute, it's unchangeable. And us as his people, we have to remember that our Father looks down from heaven. We, we say how he's intimately acquainted in all our ways, and he is, but the point of this is he is not confined to earth. He's not confined to us. He's outside of it. He looks down over it, just like he's not confined to time. He's not controlled by time. The beginning and the end, he can see and he knows. It's not like he's gazing through a lens or a satellite, like, oh, well, I see they're mowing their lawn again. Like, he reigns over creation. He knows our thoughts. He knows our deeds. He knows the dark. He knows our beginnings. He knows our ends. He knows what we try to put our trust in. Us individually, he knows what our nations put their power in. From the beginning, it was war horses. We got more war horses than you. Now what is it? We have more missiles than you. People who put their strength in certain things. We have more money than you. We have more influence than you. So we're safe. The only safe place is in the arms of the Father. Th that's it. That's the only safe place that we have. As, as John 10, 27 says, I alluded to it earlier, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me. What about verse 28? I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch, snatch them out of my hand. He is the only one who we know, who people cannot overcome. So let's make this practical for a second. 
Do you know people who, who don't think before they talk? I know a couple of them. <laughs> you know, I think about this often. And how easy it is to get in front of God's plan or what we think is in front of God's plan. But think with me for a second. Do you think about what the Lord wants you to do before you plan to do it? Before you make that decision, before you act? It's easy to go through life just planning and doing without ever asking what you're planning and doing if it's aligned with God. Well, this is just what I do, so I'll, I'll continue to do. What would you have Christ... Let me rephrase that. If we ask today what Christ would want for us, what would today look like? If we chose this morning or this week with our decisions we made, many decisions, and we said, okay, Christ, how would you have me live today? Would our week look different? Would our responses look different? Would our mind look different? And so the prayer is, show me the way of Christ today. God, show me the way of Christ today for myself, how you want me to live, how you want me to act, how you want me to respond in those moments. Because his wisdom is seen in carrying out his eternal plans. His plan, key, his, not ours. His strength, his guidance. So why worship? Because his power is seen in making all things in his, by his word by the wisdom seen in carrying out his eternal plan, and finally, his love is seen in delivering those who hope in him. Let's look at the last four verses of Psalm 33. This is what it says up here as we throw it up there. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. You know, in just a minute right now, we're going we're gonna to be singing a song that I love called, I Belong to Jesus. And the lyrics go like this. It says, you are with me. Father, you are for me. Fear will never conquer me. Oh, I belong to Jesus. Because I am never abandoned. I'm never alone. Yes, I belong to Jesus. You know, we might not know when the famine will end for us. But one thing we know is, is that he's working. We, we might not know when we'll get out of this mess. But one thing we know is he is working. We might not 
know what he has in store for our life five, ten years down the road, a day from now. But he's working. And you know what? A lot of the followers of Jesus, they didn't know what was happening when he was arrested on the Mount of Olives. But he was working. A lot of the disciples, they did not know what was going to happen when he carried his wooden cross. But he was working. As people gazed upon him as he suffocated and bled on a cross, I could imagine the fear and the confusion. But he was working. And as he was buried, and they said, Is this it, God? Is this your ultimate plan? In the grave, he was working. And he rose. And the bewilderment, the confusion. Okay, now what's going to happen? He's back. He was working. And then fast forward 40 days as he ascended. And he said, go make disciples of all the nation. They said, wait, you're leaving us? What do we do now? He was working. And so I don't know what mess, what confusion, what hurt, what anger, what pain you're going through where you don't think Christ is working or you can't see it. But nonetheless, God is working. And he's worthy of every drop of worship we have in our soul. And it doesn't have to be quiet. It could be K-Love blasting in the car, looking awkward as the person next to you drives by and keeps their head straight. <laughs> because that's our God. So what do we do in the in-between? As it's said in Psalm 33, we wait for the Lord. He is our help and he's our shield. And then we say with all the saints on our best days and on our worst days, for our heart is glad in him because we trust his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Oh, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the makers of heaven and of earth. Let us pray. God, thank you again that you are good. That you are working. No one could understand what you were doing when you were carrying out your mission. No one saw the plans or understood it when you committed your spirit to the Father on the cross. No one really comprehended what happened when you said it is finished. Everyone thought the ending would be different. Everybody was shocked at your death, shocked at the resurrection, shocked at the ascension. But you were working. Thank you for allowing us to be part of this journey with you, for saying we belong. We love you so much. We thank you. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. 
Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.